the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This is the word of the Lord. As we get into the word this morning, we will be spending time in 2 Peter chapter 2. A man by the name of Frank Abagnale was on the FBI's most wanted list in the 1970s. And his crime was bank fraud. So Frank Abagnale had become a master of basically the art of check forgery. He learned how to create checks that looked absolutely authentic and, and exactly as they should look coming from a bank, and he was able to create these checks and get money. Um, he also was very good at being a con man. Um, he, he actually conned his way into being such high-profile like, jobs as an airline pilot, a doctor, and a lawyer, all by the age of 21. Uh, young adults, I don't know what you're doing, but uh, no, please don't become a con man, okay? <laughs> but he finally was caught. The FBI finally caught up to him, put him in prison. But the, the FBI agent that was, so, or that was involved with trying to catch him and that finally did catch him was so um, intrigued by this character that he would go visit him in prison and, and he would bring him evidence, you know, um, Clues they had in other cases of forgery, and Mr. Abagnale would always say, oh yeah, that check, I can, I can tell you right away where, uh, what he was using, what the, the, whoever made this check, what he did, kind of, I can tell you that that's a fake. And the FBI was so impressed with his skills that they actually hired him, and he became a world-renowned expert in uh, forgery. But the thing with Mr. Abagnale, the thing that he would tell you if, he, if you were at one of his conferences, the best way to know what's fake is to first know what's true. The best way to recognize what's false is to first recognize what's true. It was like that for the things that he was dealing with, but it's also like that in the church and with the teachings that we hear. The best way to recognize what's false is to first recognize what's true. And the passage that we're looking at today talks about these false teachers who come in with destructive heresies. With the internet today, it's hard to know who's going to be a good teacher and who's not. You can go online and, and you can search up your favorite topic, uh, your fav- your, one of your favorite doctrines or whatever, and you, you'll get met with hundreds of, of hits. You don't know what's what, though, sometimes. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you get these false teachers that come along and they spout scripture left, right, and center, and up and down, and they sound amazing, and you're like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. Look at how he knows his scripture. 
But when you get underneath it, you realize, oh, maybe he's not right after all. In Acts 17, 11, Paul and Silas are preaching in a town called Berea. And this is what's recorded about the Bereans. It says this, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So friends, as we hear different teachings and things out there in the world, if we're online or if you're watching TV or you're talking to friends, your best way to know what's true and if what they're saying, what they're giving you is something to be believed and followed is to examine the scriptures carefully. So we want to do that. Because false teachers do exist and they're not looking out for your best interests. So the big idea for today's message is that the best way to recognize what's false is to first recognize what's true. We're going to see it in two points, false teachers and their methods, and false teachers and their mission. So false teachers and their methods, again, verse 1 from 2 Peter chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So Peter begins this section by saying, false prophets also arose among the people. So the question you should ask is, what false prophets and what people is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Old Testament. If you go back a couple of verses, you can see that he's talking about the real prophets that came and how they were trustworthy, how God gave us the scriptures through the prophets, and you can believe that. But then he says there were also false prophets that arose among the people. And if you read the Old Testament, you will come across false prophets pretty quickly and pretty regularly in a number of places. Prophecies about the coming Messiah Prophecies that were about the judgments coming against Israel. These were the true prophecies, but there were also false prophets. And the Lord never took too kindly to the false prophets. Look at this passage from Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 7 to 10. This is God's word to the false prophets through Ezekiel. He says this, Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God precisely because they have misled my people, saying, peace, when there is no peace. You can hear in those words that God's bringing, like false prophets. Watch it. Or maybe a more familiar 
passage, our more familiar story about false prophets is from 1 Kings chapter 18, where Baal worship had been brought into Israel through King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. 1 Kings 16 verse 33 actually says that Ahab did more to, prov- to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings who came before him. And if you read, it's like six in a row right before him who did evil in the sight of the Lord. But Ahab did more than all of them. And he brought in Baal worship to the nation. And so God has Elijah call the false prophets of Baal basically to a contest. And he says, we're going to go meet on the top of Mount Carmel, and we're going to set up two altars, one to Yahweh, the real God, and one to Baal. And all you false prophets of Baal, all 850 of you, you can go there and you can dance around and do whatever you're going to do and call on Baal to light that altar on fire, to burn the sacrifice that's there. You guys can go first. I'll sit back and watch. And so they spend hours out there. They're dancing, they're wailing, they're crying out, they're starting to cut themselves. They're they're thinking they can get this false god of theirs, Baal, to answer and to bring fire onto this altar and burn it. And Elijah's sitting back, and he's watching, and he goes, hey, uh, guys, not working out so good over there, is it? So what's going on? Is he traveling? Is he off? What's he off doing? Is he off at Disneyland? Is he off? Maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe he's uh, in the bathroom, kind of, you know what I mean? The word he uses there is actually, it's in pretty coarse language, honestly, the way he says about what Baal might be doing. But he he sends out these kind of mocking tones towards these false prophets because he's like, you guys are wicked and you deserve what's coming to you. So Baal, or yeah, Baal obviously doesn't answer, doesn't light the altar on fire. So then, Ezekiel, or then it's Elijah's turn. And so Elijah grabs, the, um, <clears throat> he grabs water, he douses it on the altar. So much water that there's a trough around that fills with water. And then he stands back and he's, he's just basically like, Lord, it's all yours. And boom, fire comes down, lights it on fire, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the water, and consumes the altar. So the people of Israel notice this, and they worship the Lord. And all Israel who had come out to watch said, Yahweh is God. And what happened to the prophets of Baal? All 850 of them were slaughtered. Swift destruction came upon them. The Lord doesn't deal kindly with false prophets. And Peter's point for bringing this up in this passage is this. Don't think that false prophets were only back then. False prophets were happening in in Peter's day with the churches that he was writing to and that he was um, preaching to and and the churches that were being planted, he knew that false prophets were going to come in among them just as they did in the old days. And they exist today, too. In Peter's day, these false teachers were saying things like, you know what, Jesus isn't really coming back. Why are you guys believing that? Jesus isn't really coming back. You can just kind of believe what he said. His grace covers everything, so live as you want. Sleep with whoever you want. Do whatever you want. No big deal. There's no judgment coming. Don't worry. It's all good. These are the kind of things that were being said. 
even in Peter's day. And of course, these teachings aren't brought in boldly at first. These false teachers don't come in and start shouting it from the front of the sanctuary, and this is what everybody needs to believe. No, it comes in quietly, secretly, in the back hallways, one-on-one at the coffee shop. I was listening to a podcast a few months ago by a Christian author and a blogger named Elisa Childers. And she gave her testimony about she and her husband at one point were looking for a new church and they found one where they really liked the preaching and they were there on a Sunday morning and uh, uh, Mrs. Childers, Elisa Childers, had, um, she had previously been um, kind of a pop, Christian pop singer. So she would go to a lot of places and people would recognize her. Hey, how are you? And blah, blah, blah. Amazing. Can we get a picture? That kind of thing. But they find this one church where people didn't do that. And so she was happy because she was kind of, she could just be a a regular member of the congregation and not treated differently. So she found this church where the, the pastor was preaching good from the front and her and her husband were enjoying it and just being regular people in the church. And the pastor got to know them a little bit and shoulder-tapped her and said, hey, would you join me? I think you'd be a great future leader in this church, and I've got this this, uh, group of people. I do this class, and would you want to join me in that class? And she was like, oh, wow, that would be great. I want to get deeper in the Bible. I want to learn how to teach people. So she joins this. And in this class, then, over the course of, of a number of weeks, this pastor starts teaching them um, basically that you, you aren't, they aren't really sure if they can trust the Bible anymore. You look at history, and there's a lot of things in history that show, you know what, Scripture is just really kind of ancient writings. There's some good things, there's some certain things that we shouldn't be following anymore. And he starts having them question everything about their faith, leading them through a process that's been called deconstruction. And he's leading them through this and uh, even gets to a point where he admits to this class that even he himself isn't sure that God even exists anymore. And yet they'd show up on Sundays and he's preaching the scriptures just like, hey, this is God's word and he's preaching it well. But yet in the back rooms, he's saying things that are very different. He was intentionally leading his students through a process called deconstruction which is more than just re-examining your theological position. So this isn't just, you know what, I grew up believing the Left Behind series, and now I'm looking at something different for the end times. That's not what what deconstruction is. Deconstruction is actually tearing down every foundation that that is in your faith. Tearing down your belief in scripture, what you believe about God, everything, down to basically nothing, and then rebuilding based on essentially what you want it to be. In the church today, it's commonly called progressive Christianity. Fifteen years ago, it was called the emergent church. But, terms, but these terms are no different than basically what classically has been called Christian liberalism. And a lot of the philosophy out of that began kind of in the 1800s. German philosophers in the 1800s, largely. Uh, Childers also writes this on her website as she was... Um, Writing about this, she said, as of today, February 15th, 2022, 
There are 293,026 posts on Instagram utilizing the hashtag deconstruction. The, <clears throat> the vast majority are from people who have either deconverted from Christianity, become progressive Christians, embraced same-sex marriage and relationships, rejected core historic doctrines of the faith, and or are on a mission to crush the white Christian patriarchy. That's what you see when you look up deconstruction. And in the past number of years, deconstruction has really become, I mean, it's the sexy thing to do. Gen Zers, millennials, those two generations in particular, lots of them going through this process called deconstruction, following certain bloggers that they've found to be intriguing and enticing. But all of this is just the same old lie that attacks truth. The same old lie that exists, has existed from the beginning. In the garden, the serpent came to Eve and said what? Did God really say? And then as you go through the Old Testament, you see the false prophets in the Old Testament lying to the kings, telling them what they want to hear, not really what God is saying. You think of Pilate's words at Jesus' trial. Pilate says, what is truth? Then you look in more recent history um, in the United States. You think about Thomas Jefferson, who liked Jesus' morals but refused to believe in miracles. So he took his Bible and he cut out with scissors, literally cut out the passages that have the miracles of Jesus in them and put it together. And it's, you can still buy it in odd places called the Jefferson Bible, which just basically has what he thought were Jesus' good teachings. You also have the philosophers of the last couple hundred years, like Marx and Nietzsche, and most recently Jacques Derrida, who is known as the father of deconstructionism. See, truth has always been under attack, and it still is. And for those who don't want to answer to God, they don't want to believe that there's a being above them who gives them what the ultimate truth is. It's the perfect strategy. You just say there's no such thing as real truth and you can build your life however you want. You can do anything you want. When truth becomes subjective, all of a sudden things like abortion and maid and gender fluidity and same-sex marriage, all of a sudden, why not? What's stopping me? If there's no such thing as real truth, I can do whatever I want and you can do whatever you want too. As long as it doesn't hurt me though. The truth is constantly under attack, and nothing is off limits. And all of these attacks on truth always end up denying the historic, fully human, fully divine Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. As Peter says in this passage, even denying the master who bought them. See, inevitably, the deconstructionists conform Jesus into who they want him to be. Rather than being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ, they transformed Christ in the, into the image and likeness of themselves. They ignore the hard words of Je that Jesus had to say about sin or creation, or they ignore his miracles or the virgin birth or the resurrection, and instead they recast him as a socialist or a feminist or an activist. That's who Jesus really was. And that's, who Jesus, that's the Jesus you should follow. Don't worry about what the Bible says. Whatever fits their narrative is who Jesus becomes. 
So listen, um, if, if, if deconstruction is something, a process maybe that you've begun or that you're considering, if you follow the process of deconstruction to its end, you will not believe in Jesus anymore. If you're some, someone who's tempted to go down that path, I call you to avoid it. If you want to question your faith and you have doubts and you have anxieties about what the scriptures say and you have, you, there's things that you want to ask and you want to have answered, go to mature, stable, solid Christians who have been believers for decades and who stand firmly on the scriptures. Don't go to people who are in the same boat as you because you know what? That boat's got holes in it and it's, it's sinking fast. People that are in that same boat as you will not be able to save you. You need to get somebody that's in a strong, sturdy boat to come alongside you and to save you. Or you call on the true Jesus, the divine God-man, who if you're sinking in your boat, he will come walking on water. He will come walking on water out there just to save you. And he will tell the storms to cease so the waves of culture don't keep drowning you. We have to recognize false prophets' methods. But we also have to recognize their mission. So false teachers and their mission, verses 2 and 3. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. So Peter points out two major pieces of the mission of false teachers. And whether they admit it, it is or not, their mission is to deceive people, often through sensuality and greed. And there's many false prophets and teachings on both of those, so I'm not even going to be able to get to both today. So we're going to deal with the sensuality piece today. Next week, as we continue in 2 Peter 2, we're going to talk a lot about the greed portion. And we've seen the sex uh, abuse scandals that have come through the church over the last number of decades. Um, Famously, the Roman Catholic Church and all of the different scandals that have come through many of their different dioceses and different priests and, and different, different nations around the world. Also from within the evangelical church, we've seen it. Just over a year ago, the Southern Baptists released a, released a report that within a number of their churches, their leaders had minimized or even flat out ignored sex abuse accusations that came their way. So we've seen this in the church. People in leadership using their sensuality to abuse and deceive people. Very well-known one within the evangelical church is the case of Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias, a very famous, internationally renowned apologist and teacher, and he would go and preach all over the place. I went and saw him teach once at Willingdon when he was there. Yet after he passed away, uh, reports, some which had been actually circulating even before he passed away, but after he passed away, people came from all over the place to talk about their different experiences with Ravi and that um, 
a number of his claims, even about his education and his, his ministry, had been flat out all fabricated. Then it also came known that there was a string of um, massage parlors that he owned. Okay, if you, if you know a pastor that owns a massage parlor, you should probably wonder a few things, okay? <laughs> but it came known that, that in these massage parlors, he would go and do things with other women, even telling these other women that it was okay. Biblically, it was okay. You look in the Old Testament. Look at Abraham had other wives. Look at how many wives David had. It's okay. The people nowadays just don't understand it. These are some of the lies that he would tell these ladies. And the activities of these men and these scandals is heinous. And this abuse is absolutely con- to be condemned. And on top of that, Christ and his church are openly mocked because of it. Another type of sensuality that is being used to deceive many in the church today is the Christianizing of a lot of the LGBT trends. Recently in Orlando, Florida, United Methodist Church had a drag queen who called himself Miss Pentecost preach to the congregation and do the children's feature. And in the children's feature, Uh, the pastor of the church said this, it's so cool that we follow a God who says we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that means that what I think today may have to change tomorrow if I continue to renew my mind. And it's so cool that God calls us to continue to grow and to change into something new and not be bound by the ways the world confines us. You can hear him deliberately twisting scripture to suit his purposes, right? As Peter writes, they will exploit you with false words. And many of us here, like like this video from that church went viral online and tons of people had comments about it and it was shared millions and millions of times. And a lot of us look at that and we're rightly aghast when we see it. How could somebody go in the front of a church, how could somebody who's been an ordained minister in a denomination actually say these kinds of things? And there's some denominations that have gone completely that way and they've bought in hook, line, and sinker to that. And they're going just the way of the world in every way possible. But the undercurrents that led to those massive waves in those denominations. Those undercurrents are existing in conservative churches these days as well. In 2018, an annual evangelical conference aimed at people who identify as gay and Christian was formed. It was called Revoice. And the mission of Revoice is this, and this is directly from their website. It says, to, in, to support and encourage gay, lesbian, bisexual, and other same-sex attracted Christians as well as those who love them, so that all in the church might be empowered to live in gospel unity while observing the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. So at the beginning, when this, when this conference, when this Revoice conference was started, there was quite a bit of controversy over it because they're claiming to be biblically faithful. They're saying, we believe in traditional marriage, 
We believe in traditional views of sexuality. So that we're not talking about going in the direction of the world. We're just talking about supporting people who claim to be gay and Christian. Okay, so many of us hear that and go, okay, like, that's probably okay, maybe. But over the last number of years, it's the, 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 the discussion has come around what's called side A and side B Christianity. And some of those terms might be new to you. So side A Christianity is described as Christians who fully embrace everything in the LGBT movement. Okay, so you can be a Christian and be married to someone of the same sex. You can, you can serve in every um, matter in your church, even though you're, you're living a same-sex relationship. You're pursuing that fully, and that's okay. That's the side A. Side B would say um, there, are, there are Christians who have these, this orientation or this tendency but they're saying no to it, and they're wanting to be faithful. But, but it is a part of their identity, uh, their, and a part of their God-given identity, they'll say. So you can see the difference between side A and side B. So side B is what Revoice was. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield wrote a commentary just this past week on this, and she, calls it, she even calls it now Revoice Theology. So it's a worthy article for you to look up if you have time. But over the past four years, the language being used at Revoice has been moving more and more from the side, a, side B language to sounding more like the side A language. One report from this year's Revoice conference said this. Uh, this is from World Magazine, which is a conservative Christian news outlet. Uh, they said this, speakers frequently referred to sexual and gender minorities and used preferred pronouns, along with terms such as women, assigned female at birth. The group's reach and influence are growing, but leaders now emphasize parachurch activities, so, so other than your church, activities outside your church. Speakers frequently referenced ongoing rejection within the church and encouraged attendees to form their own spiritual communities in local Revoice chapters. So basically, the, the people of Revoice, which once said, okay, like faithfully go and live and serve in your own church, now they're saying, actually, if your church isn't like fully accepting, maybe go start, essentially start little churches, is what they're calling them to do. Many pastors who once supported Revoice are now walking away from it, and rightfully so. The Bible makes it pretty clear when talking about this topic, that not only the behavior, but also the desire itself should be viewed as sinful. Colossians 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 2 Peter 1, 3-4, which we studied a couple weeks ago. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Why? Because of sinful desire. 
You see, sinful actions never just come out of nowhere. Sinful actions first start in the heart with sinful desire. And I know it's not popular to talk that way and to say that kind of thing, but that's the truth of it. And that's regardless of what kind of sin you're looking at. Any sin that we commit first starts with a desire to do that sin. The problem with sin is that it never begins in outward actions. It's the sinful hearts behind the actions. So as a Christian, right, we all should want to stop sinning. We should want to stop stealing. We should want to stop lying. We should want to stop lusting. All of these things and acting on those things. We should stop that. And we should want to stop it. But to stop it, we actually have to talk about our own hearts and our own desires. What's leading me to want this? Is my heart wanting to follow Christ or is my heart wanting to follow my own way? And on this topic, it's fair to criticize the church as being insensitive and harsh. Historically, I think many churches and Christians have spoken out about this in very unkind, uncharitable ways. I think churches have, have uh, been arrogant and, and angry about it and have done so in a way that it's pushed people that are legitimately struggling with this to the, to the shadows. And it's pushed people away and made it feel like it's not okay for them to come and talk with their pastors or their trusted leaders about it. And that's to be acknowledged and repented of on our behalf. So listen, if, if this is some, something that you in this room or online are dealing with, if it's something that you're if this is a, a, a proclivity of yours or a temptation or this is the way that you find yourself thinking and going, please know you can come to people in our church. You can come to pastors and talk with us and we will pray with you. We will hear your story with you. We will weep with you. And we'll point you to Jesus. We won't shame you. We won't mock you. We'll deal with you with kindness based, kindness based on the fruit of the Spirit. With all the information that's available these days, it can be hard to know who to listen to. Um, so I'm going to give you some names of people that I personally trust. These are authors, pastors, and bloggers whose testimonies include same-sex attraction, and yet they don't claim it as part of their identity. Uh, one is a gentleman named Christopher Yuan. That's Y-U-A-N. Christopher Yuan is um, a, an author and a, a speaker. He's actually having a conference on holy sexuality at Main Street Church in Chilliwack in a few weeks. So if you have time, uh, I would very strongly encourage you to go to that conference in Chilliwack at Main Street, which is one of our sister MB churches. Rosaria Butterfield, who I referenced earlier, Rosaria Butterfield was um, in a committed lesbian relationship for years. She worked as a tenured professor in queer theory at Syracuse University. And yet through the faithful friendship of a pastor, she was saved. The Holy Spirit changed her heart. Now she's married to a pastor and is homeschooling four kids of her own. Beckett Cook is another name. Uh, who does blogs. He was heavily involved in Hollywood 
and doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, dealing with actors and agents and all these things, going to all the big Hollywood parties, living the gay lifestyle. And yet he felt empty, and one day he was sitting at a coffee shop, and he saw some young adults studying a book together, and he walked over them, talked to them. They were studying the Bible. He asked them what they thought about human sexuality, and they said, God has a design for it within marriage. He has now become a Christian and become an outspoken apologist for holy sexuality. Sam Alberry is another one who wrote a book called Is God Anti-Gay? and has written a number of other books and he speaks at conferences as well. Jackie Hill Perry is another name. Rebecca McLaughlin, another one. You can find, you can find articles they've, they've written, things they've shared on the Gospel Coalition. Um, these are people... The reason that I, I appreciate them so much and their testimony and the way that they teach is not because they focus so much on their sin or what's false, but they focus on what's true. They regularly bring people back to the gospel. They regularly bring people back to the scriptures. They share their testimonies as a part of that, but their focus is on bringing people back to Christ. Believing in the Lord Jesus and obeying him. When Jesus gave the, the Great Commission, he said, go into all nations, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that where he ended it? No, he also said, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. There's a holy way to live, including with our sexuality and our desires. The good news of Jesus Christ is that even though we are sinful, even though we have sinful desires and actions and pasts, that Jesus willingly died on the cross for us, shedding his blood. He defeated every temptation in his life and he lived the perfect life, perfectly obeying God's law, being a sacrifice for us covering us with his blood, giving us who put our faith in him his righteousness. And why did he do it? So we could go on and keep sinning and keep pursuing sinful desires? No. So that we would live for him. Knowing that when we do fall, that he is there with open arms to forgive us. Not so we can continue to sin, but so that we can identify with him, covered by his righteousness. That's the way of the believer. Covered by his righteousness, pursuing Christ, repenting, getting back up when we sin, repenting and following after him. The way of the wicked, though, is doomed. I'm going to close by reading Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, we're humbled when we come to your word. And we read, Lord, about the fact that there have been people and uh, Satan himself deceiving others from the very beginning, twisting your word. Lord God, it grieves us that the enemy gets a foothold within churches, within the lives of people who profess faith in you, and it grieves us. And whenever this happens, it, it's, not, it's not just the individual who's infect, who, who is affected, it is the whole church that's affected. Because as Paul writes um, in the New Testament, that when, when one part of the, of the body is sick, the whole part of the body feels it. So Lord, we grieve this. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom as we live our lives and as we have to filter everything that goes on in the world, everything that we hear through, uh, all the different ways we take in information, Lord. Would you give us wisdom to discern what's true? Would you continue to bring us back to your word, to help, help us to know your word deeply and have it rest in our hearts? Lord, by your spirit, write your truth on our hearts. So that when the falsehoods come, when the lies of the enemy come, we know how to respond. So that when it comes to living our own lives and choices we make, we know the way to go. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling with some of these things, whether it's either of the topics, the deconstruction or the LGBT stuff, Lord, if for any of us that are listening today, would you soften our hearts to you and to your truth? By your Holy Spirit, Lord, open our eyes and our minds to what's true. Lord Jesus, we want to serve you. We want to follow you. We want to love you, and we want to love others. So, Lord, as for us as a church, as, as people, whether they're from within the church or from outside the church, come and visit us or engage with us on these topics, Lord, give us grace. Help us to engage with them by the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to be like that pastor who dealt with Rosaria Butterfield, who befriended her, even though she had no interest in Christianity at the time. And, Lord, may you work through our faithful living May you work through our words and our actions to transform lives. Lord, may many people who currently don't claim faith in you, may they be saved and follow you. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and your word. In your name, amen.